good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So good to see everyone. And welcome to church. Uh, as we get ready to just, uh, you know, I was uh, listening to, you know, Kevin mentioned Brother Hagen, and I'm going to start adopting something he used to say uh, when he was a pastor, and I had forgotten he would say this. Uh, he says, well, we're going to take some time and feed our spirits. Right, so we'll start calling that around this time, at least for me, because I think it, it paints a good picture more than just let's listen to a message yeah. or let's have a word. Uh, what we're going to do each Sunday when we gather and each Thursday is we're going to take time and we're going to feed our spirit. Amen. 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 You know, and that, but remember, Brother Hagin used to always say this. He used to say this. Remember, um, it would be the same thing physically as it is spiritually. What happened? Would ha- what would happen to you if you ate one cold snack a week? You'd be very hungry and probably very sick and eventually weak. And, all that. and he says, you know, the yeah. same thing is true in your spirit, right? And Brother Hagin used to say, you know, we feed our bodies three hot meals a day and our spirits one cold snack a week. <laughs> he says, so remember, feed your spirit as much as you feed your body, right? If you're going to feed your body three, four times a day and nibble and snack and stuff like that, the same thing, feed your spirit daily, Amen. But when we come together and gather around the word of God, we're going to feed our spirit. Amen. Amen. So I'll pray. And if y'all want to find Romans, the sixth chapter, and I'm going to try to back up and everybody say, Brad, slow down. down. You know, sometimes I get into this stuff and I just want to go too fast. And I want to say this publicly. I want to thank all of y'all because I don't know if you realize for the last two weeks in a row, I have gone for an hour and a half talking. (laughs) Amen. And that's a hostage situation, right? I mean, that's what <laughs> I appreciate that because a y'all have been so y'all have been so uh, pulling on the spirit of God and so hungry that it's helped a lot. Uh, but at the same time, I realize I don't want to make that a regular habit for us. All right. So just sometimes say, Brad, slow down. Amen. We can always come back and just keep going. Amen. But I appreciate y'all's a your hunger and b your patience and willingness to uh, to be there and thank you, Jesus, for nice comfy chairs, right? So praise God helps us sit again because I, I genuinely do believe that the heart can receive what the backside can endure. Amen. And so it's very, very good. Amen. So Romans chapter six, Father, we love you so much. So grateful to gather this morning. So grateful for another opportunity to feed our spirit. Lord, just uh, build us up in your word today as we talk about the reality of our salvation Father, what you have done for us, in us, through us, to us, with us, upon us. Father, thank you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're still talking about what it looks like to have a brand new life. Anybody, again, anybody ever just wanted a new life? Anybody, you know, you watch those movies, you know, or you read that book. I'm one of those guys, you know, and um, I'm a big, those that don't know, I'm a big Sherlock Holmes fan. Right, so from way back. So if you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, there was two volumes that Conan Doyle put together. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes was the first one, and then The Return of Sherlock Holmes was the second one. And at the end of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, Sherlock Holmes apparently dies. He's killed with Professor Moriarty, right? But surprise, surprise, he comes back in the first episode of The Return of Sherlock Holmes. But have you ever seen those movies where the hero, it looks like they died, yeah. and they get that opportunity to go, oh, 
I can live a new life. Right? Anybody ever wanted to have that happen to you? Like you sometimes could sit there and think, you know, if I could die but not really die and I could come back and I could just do something completely different or go back in time. Now you're talking back in the future. Marty may fly, right? All this kind of stuff. Well, guys, you know, that's in an essence, that's exactly what happened to us when we put our faith in Jesus. We died and got to live again in a new kind of life. Right. And this newness of life is a sin free life. So I want you to say it out loud so you can hear yourself say, I can live sin free. Say it one more time. Say, I can live sin free. Say this. Say, I can be sin free. Right. How many of you that sounds like? Just too good to be true. Am I going to be honest? You know, you're like, that just seems like too good to be true. You know, that's the, another name for the gospel yes. is the too good to be true news because it is true. Yes. But I'm going to back up and, and, and read some stuff because my goal today is to get us into chapter seven. Because to me, when we talk about this, chapter seven is one of the most misunderstood chapters that talks about our sin-free life. Right. Uh, I, I never finished. I got a little bit upset and I still get a little bit upset anytime I hear a minister get into chapter seven and they read some favorite portions and they literally don't read the last verse of chapter seven. They stop the verse before and just I guess I fall right up in the middle of my flesh and I start yelling at the radio like I did with Audra a couple of weeks ago. And I was just read the last verse, please. So we're ultimately going to get to the last verse of chapter seven. But I feel like I do need to back the boat up just a little bit. But as a way of text, we started in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, where Paul says, Therefore, since we were buried with him, and that him there is Jesus, since we were buried with him through baptism, and that speaks of water baptism, into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. Notice that we should walk in a new way of living. If we have been baptized with Christ, and remember, and I, and I won't spend my whole time on this, but hit it. Remember, we have a doctrine or a teaching in the New Testament. It's called a doctrine of baptisms, plural. Right? There are three baptisms we uh, understand and we teach and that we participate in. One of them is a spiritual baptism when you receive Jesus you know, we might say here in the South, when you ask Jesus into your heart, mm-hmm. right? The Holy Spirit baptizes you spiritually into Christ. Mm-hmm. That's your first baptism, right? Then outwardly, you show the world what has happened by going through what's called water baptism. On Easter Sunday, we did some water baptisms here, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And it's an outward sign of that spiritual baptism that took place that you died with Christ, you were buried with him, and you were rose again from the dead. And then finally, the third baptism is what Jesus called the baptism of fire or the baptism into his power and it is this baptism of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit then comes upon you and he empowers you with the same miracle-working power that Jesus has. Amen. And that's our baptism. But here Paul says, because we have been baptized spiritually into Christ, baptized into his death, and raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, 
then we walk in a new kind of life. And one of the aspects I'm really wanting to drive home because to me it's one of the most important that we understand is that new life is a life free from sin. Amen. Amen. A life free from the dominion of sin, a life free from the habits of sin, a life free from the condemnation of sin. And really, it's a life where you have no sin nature anymore abiding in your spirit. Amen. Amen. You know, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking about this so y'all get really happy about it, right? <laughs> Amen. Because what I'm talking about should make every person under the sound of my voice exceedingly excited. You are sin free. Hallelujah. Yeah. Amen. That's a wonderful reality. But let's back up. We're going to get to seven, but... I encourage you in your own time, spend some time reading through the book of Romans, especially chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, the whole book is wonderful, but those four chapters deal with what we're talking about. And I felt like this morning I need to back up and set the stage, especially before we get to chapter 7. Last week, I talked about how chapter 6 that we covered, chapter 6 covers the reality of the human sin nature being removed. Chapter 7, we're going to look at, Paul talks about, then what about the law? What about the Ten Commandments? What about obeying the law? And he talks about the freedom that we have from the obligation of the law. But before we do that, we got to back up and start at the beginning in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, where Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I'm going to take some time and read this again this week from the Passion Translation because it has really stood out to me in a, in a new way. And again, just to, as your pastor, I encourage you, read the Bible in different translations, yes. right? Read in different, it, it brings up and highlights different things, right? Uh, realize that Jesus nor Paul had the King James Bible. You understand that, right? right. <laughs> You know, you know, I know, I mean, I grew up here and people say, well, you know, if the King James Bible was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. If it was good enough for the apostles, well, they had neither, right? They, they had none of, of those, right? So, so feel free to read in different translations. Here's the passage transla or passion translation. It says, our faith in Jesus, and this is Romans 5 again. So if you want to find it, I know last week we took some time. You can go to, what is that open Bible? What's the name of the app? The Bible, it's the brown little icon. U version, that's the name of it. U version, the U version Bible. You can download it, it has all the different translations and you can follow along, right? So here it says, the Passion Translation of Romans 5 Our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 This is starting. You are flawless in his eyes. Do you know when God looks at you, he does not see mistakes. And that's not just a nice churchy phrase. That's true. He literally sees you flawless, perfect, spotless, without a wrinkle. Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad? This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. 
Our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness. Amen. That has given us a perfect relationship with God. Let me start. Isn't that cool? Aren't you glad you have a perfect relationship with God? Amen. Aren't you glad that God's not sitting there going, man, I hope one day Brad gets a clue. Right? <laughs> right? Now, man, I hope one day, you know, he's, he, gets, he gets another brain cell or something. You know? No, I have a perfect relationship with God. What incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. Amen. Guys, can I say this? Can I just be, can we all take some time and meditate on just that, that? What incredible joy should be bursting out from within us because of what we're talking about? Does that make sense? Again, y'all hear me say sometimes we as Christians and unfortunately sometimes we as spirit-filled, Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, tongue-talking Christians, we do look like we've been baptized in pickle juice. Right? right. right? <laughs> you know, we did. We just look angry and mad and just upset and just frustrated and aggravated and any other kind of aided that there might be. I mean, yes, sir. So we're so down on ourselves Mm-hmm. whatever because we feel like you know when God won't use me the spirit won't come upon me to do great things because I've done this and, and it's that it's a whole fear of being rejected not yeah. knowing that God will never reject you he'll never reject and you so we have to look at him in another light that's right you know because like I called you yesterday yeah there will be Things that happen. Yeah. Or whatever. Or relapse or something like that that just catches you. Well, and, and, and remember, I mean, when things happen, it's just something nudged you to make a decision outside of your true nature. Yeah. That's all that happened. Yeah. Again, something motivated, if you want to use that word. Again, I like the word nudged, shove, push, tripped. Something. To you to make a decision contrary of your real nature. Anytime you make a mistake from this day forward, if you are a genuine, now here's, your, here's the only if that is there. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean by that? Remember, and here's your lesson. Accepting Jesus is as easy as A, B, C, right? If you want to lead somebody or help somebody walk in their beginning steps with Jesus. Just remember, it's as easy as A, B, C. A, every human being must admit, I need a savior. I am desperately wicked and unable to save myself. I have to admit that. I have to accept the reality that yes, without him, I am desperately wicked and in need of a savior. That's a true statement for every person, right? That's A. B, I have to believe well, believe what? I have to believe what Jesus said about himself. Right? I love what I think it was Billy Graham used to say. Jesus is one of three things. He either is a lunatic because <laughs> he ran around and told everybody he was God. Right? People do that today and we put them in special places. Right? We give them that neat coat that has the arms that hug themselves. Right? You know, so he either Jesus was a lunatic. Worst of all, he was a liar. 
Because he ran around and told everybody he was God and he was not. Or he was Lord. Mm -hmm. Could only be one of those three options. He was either a lunatic, a liar, or he is who he said he is. He is the Lord God Almighty. Mm -hmm. Amen. You have to believe what he said about himself. And you have to believe what he did for you is real and true and genuine and had nothing to do with you. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't ask you and I if we wanted him to come do this? He never consulted us. Hey, Tony, what do you think? You know, (laughs) would you like me to come down here? He just came down and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, which is he freed us from our sin. He paid our price, spirit, soul, and body. And in return, through his resurrection, he gives us his life. And remember, when we talk about eternal life, we get messed up in church world because we think eternal life is heaven. Remember, eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is what Jesus said eternal life is. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that you would know me and the one that sent me. That's eternal life, that you would know God. I like what Kevin said during communion, that we would have a relationship with God, that you would know him, know who he is, know his heart, know his ways, know his thoughts, be in relationship with that's eternal life. And wherever he is, I will be. So if he's in heaven, then you know what? I'm going to be in heaven. But one day he's going to come back here. I'll be here too. I'm going to be where he is. Does that make sense? Remember, heaven is just a layover. That's all it is. Nobody gets excited because they went to Atlanta. They're excited when they go to Disney World. Does that make sense? (laughs) Right? It's time that we quit getting excited about the layover and get excited about eternal life, which begins the moment you genuinely accept Jesus. Yes. Amen. Now, I saw a hand. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm not going to be wrong, but what you just said. Mm Mm-hmm. Know him. Yeah. I was gonna say, and y'all, y'all can rebuke me if you want to, but most people that get saved or whatever, the one struggle that they have is believing God and accepting the love. Like, like He just started doing stuff for you. That's right. Then you find yourself striving and struggling. You can't do this, and all of a sudden, when you stop, boom, then it happens. Absolutely. And it's just that. Accepting like he's a good father. Yes. That baby up there said this morning about the fatherless kids, kids need fathers or whatever. See how we are with our children. That's how that's how they're gonna view God. That's right. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. When they when they turn their life over to God, they're they're still yours. You're you're stewarding them, but he's their father. That's exactly you right. Know what I'm saying, and that only comes when you um Purposely make time out for God. Yeah. Go walking through the woods with God by yourself. People think you're crazy and you're talking to nobody. Yeah. But that's what it takes. Absolutely. That's the only way that relationship happens. Well, anything, talk to him in the woods. Talk to him in Walmart. Or, or fishing. Talk to him when you're fishing. Talk, talk to him. Again, he is real and he is present everywhere you go. But, but eternal life is knowing him. That's eternal life. And being joined with him. Does that make sense? And finally, C, you confess him. Right? So A, you admit. B, you believe. C, you confess him. What do I mean by that? Out loud with your own mouth. There should be a time that it started. 
And there should be a time that it continues that you say, Jesus, you are my God. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. And I confess that out loud where I can hear it. And I confess it out loud where others can hear it. Does that, does that make sense? It's, so accepting Jesus is as easy as A, B, C. How many of you have gone through the ABCs that I just talked about? How many of you here have done that? You've, you've been, good. Then here, all we're talking about is what qualifies to you. You are at peace with God. You have perfect relationship with him. Continue back here in Romans chapter five. I love this. In verse six, it says, but that's not all. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. Now, can I just get a little bit medley just, just for a second? All right, just a little bit. I might rub your cat backwards just a touch. Just a little bit. Is this. I'm going I'm to tell you, you know, whenever you have a pressure in life, our response because of Jesus should be one of joy. Uh, yeah, I know. You're welcome. I, <laughs> Does that make sense? How many of you have a pressure in life? Come on, be honest. You got something going on. There's some pressure going on. I mean, here Paul says, hey, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence. Amen. Come on now. I have a joyful confidence because I know that my pressure will develop in me patient endurance. Amen. Isn't that kind of cool that even when you have a bad day, it's awesome. Now, again, I'm not saying I'm volunteering for bad days, okay? Please tell, y'all hear me real good. Yes. No one is, yes. He's going to stretch you and stretch you and stretch you to the point where it's always super uncomfortable and hurtful to you, which yeah. is not true. Not at all true. But that's what a lot of us grew up hearing. Gotcha. Okay. No, no. No, this is what happens. Again, we talked about it. You know, the, the, the young lady that was here, uh, I think, with Casey last week. TJ? Peyton. Peyton. Yeah, the one who kept talking to me a couple of Sundays ago, right? She was there. I love that. I'm talking about when the bullies come. I'm not saying that God sent the bullies. Are you with me? I'm not saying that God mandated the thing at all, Right? But uh, how do you say, brother, again, I know I'm quoting Brother Hagin a lot these days, but it's, it's got a reason. Brother Hagin used to talk about riding in an old buckboard wagon. I don't know if anybody ever rode in an old buckboard wagon. We did once at one of these like homestead hollow things mom took me to when I was a kid years ago. By the way, that's my mom back there. Those who haven't met my mom, mom's here with us. And so everybody make sure you go hug my mom and say nice things about me, okay? <laughs> and so, um, but... Uh, but you know, brother Hagen used to talk about, you know, when you rode in a buckboard wagon, it, it, it wasn't if it was when you would get thrown out because that thing would hit a hole and you would, he would call it, you would become unseated right from your buckboard wagon. He says, but the great thing about Jesus is this bumps will happen on the road to life, but you'll never become unseated. The bumps in life, because of Jesus, the bumps in life will no longer throw you out your wagon. That's 
Hey, are, are you with me? But there come, pressures come, challenges come, things come, not because God sent them. Right, right again, now let me, because this is always good, and, that, and y'all are pulling all this stuff out. Does God, um, the word out there, there's a word came, a te- um, some questions came about temptation, and I need to still answer those in the podcast. So this is not an attempt to answer it. We'll have to do that maybe uh, later this week or the next. But does God tempt us? The answer to the question straightforward is no, in the sense of does he tempt us to evil? No. Does God tempt us in the direction of sin? Never. Does God challenge us? Like, why don't you leave your father and your mother and go to a land that you do not know? Right? Yeah, he'll do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he could see that. But God will sit there and say, hey, why don't we take a walk through the desert? <laughs> right? Now, again, remember, right? All along the way, you got a rock named Jesus that pours out water. Uh, y'all think that y'all understand that in the Old Testament, that was a literal rock. Yeah. Anybody ever seen a rock move by his little lonesome? Uh-uh. But they said their testimony was they wandered in the wilderness and the rock followed them. That's the original rock and roll. <laughs> rock and, original. Jesus was the original rock and roll, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Does that make sense? And, and so even in the walk, you're not going to get thirsty. You're not going to go hungry. Shoes ain't going to wear out. Amen. He's going to be a cloud that shades you, a fire that warms you. But you got to be willing to walk through the desert. Does that, and so will God take us on journeys? Yes. Will God ask of us things that may challenge us? Absolutely. Will God be like a good father and lead you to the edge of the cliff and say, now jump, boy? No. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but does that make sense? So anyway, so knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance and patient endurance will refine our character. Now listen to me. Yeah, we all understand what character is, right? Character is an aspect of your soul. Remember, you are a three-part human being, right? You, you are in the image of God. God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You are a three-part being as well. You are a spirit. You have what the Bible calls a soul, and you live in a physical body. Your soul is made up of varying components. It's your will. It's your emotions, Right? It's your intellect. A part of your soul is your character. Right? It's the way you think. It's your interests, your passions. That's your soul. Right? And scripture teaches us that we must receive the engrafted word of God that will save your soul. Does that make sense? And so it's important, again, Brother Hagin, another great, one of my favorite Brother Hagin quotes he used to say. He said, many Christians live and die and never have their soul saved. Their spirit was saved. 
Their spirit was transformed. They're going to go to heaven, but their soul, their mind, their will, their emotions, their intellect, their character, that was never saved by the word of God. And part of the aspect of saving your character comes in the trying moments of life. Right? That's why he says, patient endurance, it refines our character. Doesn't say it refines our spirit. Your spirit is perfect. It refines your character. We've all heard what the character is, right? Character is who you are when nobody else is looking. Right? Character is who you are in the dark with none of your clothes on. Amen. Are you with me? And it says this, and proven character then leads us back to hope. See, this is, this is what I've called for years. What we just read in Romans 5 is the pathway to hope. The pathway. And remember, Bible hope can be defined as a confident expectation. But confident expectation has a pathway as there's a road for hope. That road always begins with a pressure of life. I wish I could say it didn't. <laughs> I wish I could say we just, bam! And I just, I'm hope all the time, baby. Right? No, hope always, hope always begins with an opportunity to overcome a pressure of life. Always. Whatever that is. Whether that's a literal physical pressure, whether that's an emotional soulish pressure, whether that's a financial pressure, a whatever pressure. Something happens in life, pressure comes. You just need to be joyful because of Jesus because I'm not going to be unseated. Right. Y'all remember? Yeah. I'm not going to be pitched off this bucking bronco. Right. I'm going to ride him the full eight seconds. Mm-hmm. Amen. But I also can rejoice because, man, this is going to produce in me some endurance. Man, this endurance, it's going to keep refining and saving my character. My soul is going to come to another level of salvation. Amen. Amen. And that's going to bring me right back to a confident expectation. Yep, we'll overcome this. Yep, we'll walk out of this. Yep, we'll move. Does that make sense? Amen. And hope, I love this. And this hope we have is not a disappointing fantasy. Right? (laughs) This hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You see how that goes? Amen. So when tomorrow gets here and if a pressure comes, I want y'all to be real happy. All right. I want y'all to have some joyful expectation. You go, all right, praise God. Amen. Here we go. I'm going to get me some endurance, which is going to refine my character, which is going to bring me to a confident expectation. And that confident expectation is this. Man, God loves me so much. He will not leave me here. God loves me so much. He will bring me out of this. God loves me so much that whatever needs to happen, it'll happen. And we'll come out of this. And I'll come out of this better than I went into it. Are you with me? I mean, guys, what would you do with a person that had that kind of attitude? Amen. Come on now. I'm talking about you. What could you do to a person where if life handed them a bowl full of poop, they just turned it into compost and grew something? (laughs) Huh? 
I'd want to be around them all the time too. My goodness. What, what, what could they do in life if no matter how many times you handed them poop, they just started growing tomatoes? <laughs> Amen. Are you with me? Yes. They just started making stuff and doing stuff. And or again, maybe a cleaner version. I know my wife prefers my cleaner analogies and stuff for her, her sensibilities. But I'm here for your, um, your patient endurance yes. and refinement. <laughs> yes, <you are. laughs> Amen. What would you do with somebody? Life hands you a lemon and they just keep making lemonade. That's right. Teach me how to. Well, you, yes. You're the lemonade maker, sister. That's you. Mm-hmm. Amen. All of us. Amen. But let's keep going because we even got to chapter seven yet. Awesome. For when the time was right, the anointed one, Jesus, came and died to demonstrate God's love for sinners who were entirely helpless weak and powerless to save themselves. Amen. Now we, now would, and I love this, now verse seven, now would anyone dare to die for the sake of a wicked person? What's the answer to that question? No. We can all understand if someone is willing to die for a truly noble person. But Jesus proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were yet lost and ungodly. I love that translation, right? Amen. Would anyone dare die for a wicked person? Yes, his name was Jesus. Amen. It says, and there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For, though the, for through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. I love this. You are now right in my sight. Amen. Say that with me. Say, I am right in God's sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Amen. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son, then something greater than friendship is ours. Amen. That's pretty cool. I was happy just to be God's friend. But here, if he died for me while I was a sinner, then there's something greater than friendship that is available. Now that we are at peace with God and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more, now notice this, will, will we be rescued from sin's dominion? So see, I wanted to get there. So Paul in chapter five sets up his whole conversation coming is about you have been rescued from the dominion of sin. I've got to set that up for when we jump over to chapter seven because he didn't change topics. Mm, that's so good. And, and that's where we, we mess people up, all right? But I'm gonna, let's see here. Yeah, let me uh, read verse 11, then we'll go to chapter seven. And even more than that, we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living the reconciled life to God all because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Let's go. Now go to chapter 7. And I got an eye on the clock. And we're going to go as far as we can. It says here. Now, so, you, so what is Paul talking about? Somebody tell me. A little bit of quiz. What is Paul talking about in context of what we're reading? Being free from the dominion of sin. Right? We read it all last week through chapter 6. 
how much God said, you're free from your sin, you're free from your sin, don't let it have dominion over you, don't let it control you any longer, no longer be a slave to it, don't present yourself to it because you're free from it, it no longer has dominion over you. So what in these chapters is Paul's topic that he's discussing? Being free from sin. Is he going to change subjects in chapter 7? No. No. no, he's just taking a different aspect. Mm-hmm. Right? The reason why I say that is, is chapter 7, in my opinion, is one of the most misinterpreted mm-hmm. and misapplied chapters in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It's the chapter where Paul famously says, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. And the very thing I don't want to do, that's the thing. Y'all remember that? And he says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. And who will deliver me from the body of this death? And only the preacher stops right there, doesn't he? And he says, and who will deliver me? And that's right. And you're going to be bound up for the rest of your life. So uh, hopefully we can save, if you will, this chapter from its bad translation. Amen. So Paul says in chapter 7, verse 1, I write you, dear brothers and sisters, who are familiar with the law. So that's very interesting. He's talking to people who are Jewish, who are familiar with the law. Right? Now, again, how to kind of paint this in a picture that we all would understand is like this. Um, in, in the New Testament days, there were basically two large groups of people in the church world. There were the Jews, and there were what were called Gentiles, meaning anyone who wasn't a Jew. Probably most everybody in this room, you are a Gentile. You did not come from a Jewish background. Am I correct? Anybody here Jewish and we don't know it? Anybody know of the Jews? Okay, good. So you're all welcome. You're all Gentiles. Congratulations. All right. Now, we don't get that, but in today's vernacular, it would be like this. Church-going folk versus non-church-going folk. Does that make sense? So Paul would say it like this. I write to you, dear brothers and sisters, those of you that are used to going to church. (laughs) Those of you that are used to living under some kind of rules and regulations passed down to you. from I'm writing to you now. All right. He says, don't you know, and I love this analogy, right? Don't you know that when a person dies... It is the end of his obligation to the law. Don't don't you understand that? Amen. Somebody dies, they don't got to obey the speed limit anymore. Amen. That's going to set you free one day, Kevin, right? Amen. And Selena as well. Amen. She doesn't care right now. She'll go fast anyway. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's right. And the crazy part, she's only been caught once. All the years I've known her, 23 years, she's squeaked by. Amen. Sometimes you ride with Selena, right? You know, you ride with Selena and, and the light poles look like a picket fence going by, right? That's how we go. But anyway, she's got things to do. It says there, now verse two, it says, for example, here Paul talks. Now, for example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until they are separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of marriage. So then, if a wife is joined to another man while she is still married, she commits adultery. We all would understand that, right? 
But if her husband dies, she is obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. Everybody understanding so far? Mm -hmm. Verse 4. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to you and your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law. By being co-crucified with the body of Jesus. So you are now free to quote unquote marry another. The one who was raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual children for God. You see that? So you have died to the law. Hallelujah. I thought I'd get a little bit more excitement out of y'all. Y'all, do we need to have a funeral? Y'all look like you're really sad that you found out that your ex-husband died, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> so you have died to your old husband, the law. Amen. Amen. That's amazing. You are now free to marry another who is Christ. Amen. Yes. That is that. And, mm-hmm. They are good. Yes. But it's no longer meant for you. It's the law that written in your heart. It's all those do's and don'ts. You know, it's just messing you up. It can be. Yes. Well, and that's what he's about to unpack. That's exactly right. Now we're about to unpack that. Right. Run. Right there. You're you're tracking very good. But I just wanted to make that for you are free from the law. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Now again, everybody say, Brad didn't write this. Brad didn't write this. Right? Am I just reading the Bible? Okay, so, so don't send me nasty messages. If this goes out on the podcast, don't write me and blow up my stuff. I'm not going to respond, right? I'm just reading the Bible, okay? When we were merely... Now, now notice... Verse 5 is key to understanding chapter 7. Paul says, when we were merely living natural lives. So Paul was talking about himself and us before believing in Jesus. Do you see that? When we were living merely natural lives, the law through defining sin actually awakened sinful desire within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. Right, But now that we have been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us. Hallelujah. Yeah, I keep thinking y'all going to catch on one day. Y'all going to hear this and somebody's going to get excited. Amen. I'm in the Passion Translation. Yeah. When you have been against law, there's a consequence. Yeah. A major consequence. And now we don't have those consequences. I mean, in a sense. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you rob a bank, you're going to go to jail. But the point yeah. is, you don't have the consequence that they did. That's right. That's right. No, there's, yes. And, and, and we'll get to some of the, the greatest, though, consequence of all was separation from God and death. Everything else is just everything else. And I agree with you. Now, and we're talking vertically with God. Right. If I run out and rob a bank this afternoon, 
you can come visit me in jail. Okay, that's where they're going to take me. And they should. <laughs> Does that make sense? I run out and, and kill somebody, they're going to come arrest me and take me to jail, right? If I run off and cheat on my wife, she will kill me and you'll need to go visit her in jail, right? You know, you can visit me in the funeral home, right? And so, but that's just what's going to happen, right? There's, I'm talking about, but with God, this way, there is no more righteous requirement for the law. There is now no longer a law you can obey that will make you more favorable in his sight. And there is now no longer a law you disobey that will bring you out of favor in his sight. Right, Cedric? There's no lie that can be told that will separate you from God. Amen. Amen. And what that does is, and, and what, and we, does that mean, woohoo, party, we can go to whatever in the world we want to. No, I love, you know, we read that all through last week's stuff. If that is our attitude, if we hear about this grace and our attitude is, yay, I can go sin abundantly. You will die quick. Well, no, it, it, well, you will die quick, but here's what the actual word in the Greek language where Paul said, certainly not is the actual word blasphemy. It's actually what Paul said. If I say because of grace I can abound in sin, I am blaspheming the work of Jesus Christ. And it's a question, am I really, have I really, I must not have really experienced grace. Right. Or like you were saying, your soul. Yes. At the very least, your character, your soul. Your soul is messed up still. That's exactly right. Your spirit may be saved, but your soul ain't saved, right? Does this all make sense? Again, my goal for talking about this so much and going into such detail is, is to inspire you to understand that from this moment forward forever until Jesus returns and beyond into eternity, you can have no more sin-filled days. Amen. 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 You never have to sin ever again. And not because you're trying real hard. Not because you're gritting down, doubling down, and I'm going to be a good little boy. But because I'll actually realize, no, wait a minute, I have, I have been, I've been freed from that. I am free from that. I don't have to do that. Oh, okay. I can do something else. Oh, look, I can do right stuff. Does that make sense? So, let's keep going. Mm, but now that we've been re fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us. And our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written code. So that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Spirit. Hallelujah. I love that. The obsolete way of living by something that was written down. Now I can live a new life just walking and living with the Spirit of God and Him guiding me. Amen. Amen. Now, verse 7. So, what shall we say about all of this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? And Paul says, blasphemy. Of course not. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, it was the law that gave us the clear definition of sin. For example... When the law said, do not covet, it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. Just what you were saying, Alicia. It showed me my sin. 
It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. Guys, do you understand if I can pause? This is the state of our nation today is verse, what is this, verse number eight. There is an absence of law which doesn't take away sin. Sin is now just hiding dormant. But it's still there. Does that make sense? And people live in a false freedom. Yeah. Right? I once lived without a clear understanding of the law, but when I heard God's commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring me life brought me death instead. And that's what the law will always do. The law will show us God's life and his righteousness because that's what the law does. But we can't obtain it on our own. Remember, Paul is talking about when we lived mere natural lives. I like to say it like this. Paul was saying, when I was living trying to make myself right with God by the law. Because mm-hmm. Paul, that was Paul's thing. I, I, and that's why he starts the whole chapter. Now I'm going to talk to people like me. Good old church going folk who have tried to live their life by being a good little boy or being a good little girl and doing what they told me I should do. Living a mere natural life, not a spirit life. Do you see the difference that Paul is talking about here? It's important that we understand that. It says in verse 11, Sin, by means of the commandment, built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. So then we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy and the commandments are correct and for our good. So, verse 13, so did something meant to be good become death to me? And here he says, blasphemy, certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. Do you understand that the law never killed you? It just took the cover off of sin. And it was sin that killed you and separated you from God. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's why I said before, but remember the great sin Paul confessed when Paul said of himself, I am the chief of sinners was not because he killed the church. He actually admits that in that little thing. He says, I know I killed the church. I know I killed all those people, but I did it innocently. It's like, it's like my, it's like my, you know, we, we were in Canada living there and we had some friends and Savannah and their boy are the same age. And we're over there eating dinner one night and they were like four. And all of a sudden you hear whack and you hear Savannah cry and she comes running out of the room. Corbin hit me. And then he's right behind her. I hit her gently. <laughs> you know? I hit her gently. I hit her gently. And that's kind of Paul's thing. I, I killed him. I did it innocently. Yeah. I, 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 that's, but no, that was not. But he, his admission of sin was of his self-righteousness. 
he said, not even so much that he rejected Christ, he was trying to make himself right on his own. He said, I was trying to be self-righteous. I was born to the right people group, to the right tribe. I had the right ceremony done on the right day. I joined the right group within the church. I became a leader within that group. I was the one that when you looked around and you took a record, I kept, now this is Paul's testimony, I kept the law perfectly. That's what Paul said. And it was documented. Yep, Paul did it all. Yeah. That's why we needed Paul. Paul says, I kept the law. I never messed up. And I was the chief of sinners because I was trying to make myself right with God. Because how can you save a self-righteous person if they genuinely believe they are good on their own? There is no Savior that can save them because they have become the Savior. Does that make sense? They can't do that. They can't do that. No, 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 in a little bit, maybe a little bit. So just hold, hold on, just because time frame and all that kind of stuff. Yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I said because they can't do the A. They can't admit. They can't admit. They, they're good. They're good. I'm good. No I mean, I've, I've ran into those people all over yeah. where we live. Yeah. I'm a good man. Yeah. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. I, and they'll say something like, you know, I ain't killed nobody. Yeah. <laughs> right? I haven't robbed no banks. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, apparently he did. I, I, all I know, that's what he said. I, I'm with you, but look at the testimony of Paul. I mean, uh, how could Paul have kept the law perfectly? And I'm with you. I, I, I have no answer for that question. He, more than likely there's somewhere he missed it, but by his testimony, he said, when people looked at me, they said, yep, there goes Paul, man. He's perfect. He's awesome. He's amazing. Does that make sense? Anyway, but he says, it was not the law, but it was sin that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be seen for what it is. For we know that the law is divinely inspired and comes from the spiritual realm. But I am a human being made of flesh and trafficked as, as a, and I love this, and trafficked as a slave under sin's authority. I'm a mystery to myself, Paul said. <laughs> he says, I'm a mystery to myself for what I want to do, for I want to do what is right, but end up doing what my moral instincts condemn. And if my behavior is not in line with my desire, my conscience still confirms that the, the excellence of the law. And now I realize that it is no longer, and I love this part, and now I realize that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. Now I have to stop here just for a second and, and explain this is that, remember we said last week that your salvation is still in process. Everybody understand that? You are saved to the uttermost in your spirit. Your spirit is perfect and in the image of Christ himself. Your soul needs to be saved by the word of God. We covered that earlier in this message, right? But your flesh also must be dealt with. Now, here's the, the part that's a little tricky. 
okay, is this. Your flesh is somewhat your body, but it's also mostly your soul. What do I mean by that? Um, how many of you here, you really, you got, uh, you're like me. I'm going to just, can I just confess a little bit? You have, you have a Krispy Kreme addiction. Anybody else have a Krispy Kreme addiction? Thank you, Cedric, for being with me. Anybody else? Huh? I love, thank you, Kurt. You're just, you're non-discriminatory. Just all sweets. Every, maybe we'll just be honest. How many of you, mine is, is you have a, any version of a donut addiction. Anybody like that? Or a pie? Or, or a, huh? Honey bun. Honey bun. You know, Tony's uh, key lime pie over there at Krispy Kreme. Any, anybody have that kind of stuff? Okay, those kind of things we talk about, there is some aspect of, of quote-unquote, your sinfulness that are habits you've developed in your flesh. The way your body wants sugar or the way it may crave, for example, nicotine or drugs or alcohol or sex or other stuff, right? Those can be found in this physical form, right? They're a habit you developed, right? But most of our, what the Bible calls flesh, is still housed within our soul. It's still housed inside our thinking. Right? But either way, it says this, it says, but if I see, so now what about post-Jesus? What happens if I make a mistake post-Jesus? Anybody ever made a mistake post-Jesus besides me? Anybody ever sinned post-Jesus besides me? Some of y'all are, are sinning right now, not even raising your hand. Look at you, not even raising your hand. Amen. <laughs> now I've got to have to call up a whole other, I've got to do repentance for lying right here. Deliverance, right here. Are you with me? Notice what, I love this translation says, and now I realize that it is no longer my true self, but the unwelcome intruder of sin. See that distinction Paul says. Remember, he's talking about pre-Jesus, I was bound up under the law. I was trying to make myself right. I found that that doesn't work because all the law does is keep uncovering and unmasking my sin and showing me my sinfulness, right? But now, if I'm post-Jesus and I see myself make a mistake, oh, that's not my true self then. That's still the unwelcome intruder that might be housed either in my flesh through an appetite or an addiction I created or through my soul that has yet to be saved by the engrafting of the word of God for who I am. It's a, it, well, it's like, I love his word here in this translation, an unwelcome intruder. Anybody ever had their home broken into before? Yes. We have. Yeah, we've had it done. We had it done in Canada, right? We've had stuff go missing, right? Those are unwelcome. That's like sin, an unwelcome intruder that tries to come in. Does that make sense? Yeah. For I know that, the, that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. Right? See, again, remember there are aspects of you that are still not re renewed. I'm not saying you're not saved. Everybody say, Brad's not saying I'm not saved. Brad's not saying I'm not saved. You have to understand that your salvation, there's still a work of your salvation that's being worked out. Does that make sense? You are, you are totally saved in your spirit and you're going to be with him wherever he is, right? But your flesh and your soul 
are in a process of waiting for their full redemption. That's why physical death is still here. Does this all make sense to everybody? Right? Again, the reason why I say that is that sometimes the other, there's two big ditches in Christianity. One big ditch over here is as well, hate it for you, Alicia, you're going to be stuck in your sinfulness until Jesus comes back. Try to hang on. <laughs> right? Or the other one is we have a, a camp of Christianity that goes, Bring! you'll never have another problem ever again. <laughs> right? Bring! There'll be no issues, no fun. You'll... Well, that's also just as equally untrue. But Paul tells us what that is. Oh, if I find myself doing something I shouldn't do, that's not me. That's the unwelcome intruder of sin trying to get back in. That's the unwelcome intruder that I've been freed from. He's trying to break back in and take me back into slavery again. Does that, again, we might understand it in another natural example in our culture here in the time of Reconstruction post-Civil War, right? There were freed slaves. Even during the Civil War, there were freed slaves, right? And they passed the Jim Crow laws and those kind of things where they gave slave hunters the ability to go capture runaway slaves in the North. But the laws were so loose, they could actually capture anybody that was black. So they would capture free men and say you were a slave and drag them into slavery back into the South. That's what sin tries to do to us sometimes. Tries to come in and recapture us and convince us that I'm still a slave to that. I still got to struggle with that. I still got to put up with that. I still got to do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. No man can sin willfully. The word of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Yeah. So I think of that scripture, but I'm trying to... Corley, well, remember this. So before you accepted Jesus, we read that, like a slave, you had no choice, right? Everybody understand that when... And again, and again, I use Cedric, you know, Cedric and his answer, when they were captured and made slaves, did you have a choice? It was do this or die. You were a slave. Many of them did. Many of them did. Tried to get, that's why they chained them up in the ships. It wasn't because they were, they were yes, they were cruel, but people, they would have jumped off and killed themselves rather than come here. Right. Does that make sense? So, but we were slaves like that to sin. So what John is talking about is now you're no longer a slave to sin. Sin is not your nature that you just can't help it. Again, we have little, I mean, I love your daughter. I love Lila, right? I love, she's awesome. But you've noticed you, you, didn't, you, didn't have, you didn't have to teach her how to do certain stuff that's not right. <laughs> Right? You, you didn't sit down and go, okay, now, sweet pumpkin, I'm going to teach you how to throw a fit. This is, this is how you do it, right? <laughs> she, she just does it. Because right now, she's still a slave of sin. Right? Just like my kids. I mean, I'm not picking on my kids. You know, my Caleb, he, if he was in here, he's our one that lied the most. Right? I never had to teach him how to lie. Right? I had to sit there and say, son, I'm going to discipline you because people need to trust you 
and you need to be a man that will keep your word, but I also had enough sense to tell him, but you're going to struggle with this until you make Jesus your Lord. Once you make Jesus your Lord, you'll find yourself now free from this and you got a chance to fight it. But until you accept Jesus as Lord and are transformed, this will hold you captive and I'll be forced to spank you every time. So if you would like to be liberated from the spank, you need to give your life to Jesus. Because that's your only hope. Otherwise, the law, daddy, will bring death to you every time. Does that make sense? But, and, and that's what happened to him, right? And I, love, and I don't have time, I mean, for time's sake, that was his little story, right? And I love, we were riding in the car. I think I told you all this story last week or whenever, and riding in the car, and he goes, so, Dad, I, I've got a friend. And I'm like, okay, tell, tell me about this friend that you've got. <laughs> I've got this friend that he will lie even when he knows he's going to get caught and get punished for it. Why do people do that? <laughs> and that was his question. And I say some because they're bound to their sin. And remember, sin, again, in the case of lying, we think lying will buy us freedom. But like sin, lying will pull your pants down and expose you to the world. That's what sin does. It pulls your pants down. And holds you there. And points and goes, look! Right? So they, they do it because they're still bound in their sin. The only way to be freed from that is to give your life to Jesus and be freed from your sin. Now you've got a fighting chance against lying. Does that make sense? Because you're freed from it. Before that, it's just you're a slave to it. You, you can't help yourself. You must do what sin says until Jesus liberates you and brings you into righteousness. Remember we said that in Titus chapter 2 verse 11. The grace of God that has brought salvation to all mankind has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. And this grace teaches us two important lessons. Grace teaches us to say yes to righteousness and holiness and no to unrighteousness and to evil and to wicked. See, before grace came and liberated me and taught me, I didn't have a yes and a no. I could only say yes to sin. That's all I could do. But when I stepped into his grace and it empowered me, that grace now gives me the ability to look at stuff and go, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm going to say no to that and yes to this. Does, does that make sense? So with it, I got just a few minutes and, I, and I'm going to land the plane. Everybody doing all right? Everybody okay? Is helping everybody? So he says, I know that nothing good lives within the flesh of my fallen humanity. The longings to do what is right are within me, but the willpower is not enough to accomplish it. Willpower is never enough to live righteously. If we could live righteously on willpower, we would have no need of Jesus. Right? My lofty desires to do what is good are dashed when I do the things I want to avoid. So if my behavior contradicts my desires to do good, I must conclude that it is not my true identity doing it. But it's the unwelcome intruder of sin hindering me from being who I really am. Now let's go. Through my experience of this principle, I discover that even when I want to do good, evil is ready to sabotage me. Truly deep within my true nature, I love to do what pleases God. Do you see this? Yeah. 
how clear Paul lays this out, what this is? Sin is now no longer my true identity. That is not who I am. Whenever it tries to come, I can call it out as the intruder, the imposter Mm -hmm. that is trying to take back over my life. And I can call into my true identity, which is righteousness Mm -hmm. and holiness and purity. I hope they got this empowering at all. I hope. But I discern another power operating in my humanity. I love that. Waging a war against the moral principles of my conscience and bringing me into captivity as a prisoner to the quote unquote law of sin. This welcome intruder, this unwelcome intruder in my humanity. Again, sin. Now, I know verse 24, and this is where most preachers stop. And this is where Brad gets real mad if you're ever riding with me. Because they come up to verse 20, oh, what an agonizing situation I am in. The King James says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. So who has the power to rescue this miserable man from the unwelcome intruder of sin and death? Please read verse 25 with me. I give all my thanks to God for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Hallelujah. So if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin, but now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principle, which is what? Chapter 8, verse 1, there is now no longer an accusing voice of condemnation against me because I have been joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. And the law of the spirit of life flowing through Jesus has liberated me from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. Come on. Does that make sense? So what happens if we can, we make a mistake post Jesus? Well, sure we can, but it's not my true identity. It's the old unwelcome intruder of my old sinful nature trying to come back in and traffic me once more into slavery, into sin, right? But who, man, who has delivered me from the body of this death? Amen. Y'all see that? Y'all get mad with me anymore now. You hear some preacher on the radio and he starts talking and he doesn't read verse 25. I want y'all yelling at the radio going, read the last verse. (laughs) But thanks be unto God. It is Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. So Father, we love you so much. Lord, thank you for the trueness, the reality that we are free from our sin. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for liberating us from the body of the death of our old sinful nature. That is no longer who we are. Our true identity is we are your son. We are your daughter. We are righteous. We are holy. We are pure. We are sin-free. We are spotless. We are wrinkle-free. Lord, we are flawless. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.